0: Do I, oh, there I am. Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good, morning. good morning. It is a good morning. It's a good morning to be together and fellowship with others who love God, to spend time seeking his truth from his word, and to let his spirit work in us. It's a wonderful privilege to be together this morning, and I'm glad to be up here doing the announcements. If you are, you know, wanting to be a part of this fellowship or wanting to be known a little bit more, there's a little card in the back of the chair. Grab that, and if you haven't filled one out, fill one out with your info, and we will take um, the opportunity to give you a text later this week just to get to know you a little bit more and you to get to know us a little bit more as well. Um, That's announcement number one. Announcement number two, if you're a regular attender here and You would like to honor God with all that he's given you. We have an opportunity for you to tithe and give offerings. You can text, you can go online, or you can talk to one of the ushers on the way out. Opportunities for you to show God um, how thankful you are for all that he's blessed you with. That's my next announcement. Then the one after that, I have 10 people, 10 volunteers, who gave up six evenings. So six evenings where they swapped out a regular night um, of, I don't know, dinner and TV or whatever to be a part of our children's intensives for the last six weeks. And these wonderful volunteers taught our kids skills like art and woodworking and sign language and the mountain dulcimer and tie blankets, and most importantly, our kids got to learn about wonderful concepts, um, about God's truth. They learned about the Trinity. They learned about the church. I would like to give a specific thank you to these people. I'm going to list them because I think I know them. We had Spring Keisler do tie blankets. We had um, Melanie Anderson do uh, sign language. We had Dave Davis and John Ganley do these amazing whirly gigs that are just, we were incredible. We had Sarah Anderson do drawing with our kids. And we had uh, the teachers. Glenn Ramba taught our first through third graders the most amazing foundation of what the church is for. We went through all the parts of the church service, it was incredible. And we had Tom and Joan Corey do our pre K and K class and taught them about God's love. Really great. Callie Alvis held down our nursery for us so our moms and dads could enjoy wonderful, wonderful truth about communication and the book of Acts, which was pretty incredible. So, all together, it was a wonderful evening, and I'd love to give those volunteers a round of applause. So, if we, can, if we can give them a clap, that would be fantastic. All right, very good. So, my announcements today are all about numbers, so that I don't forget. So, that was 10. We have the next announcement, about 20 folks, 20 folks from our church and another church that are joining together to go on a missions trip this summer. This is pretty incredible. This is a huge group of people. And as we've been learning about Paul and his missionary travels and what his impact was, this is a group of people who are willing to give up a week and spend it spreading God's word and his love to people who don't have the opportunity to hear this and who need to know how much he loves them. And so out in the lobby, on your way out today, there will be our team. And you can get to know them and meet them and find out how you can pray for them, how you can help them, and maybe even think about praying about sponsoring one of them so that they can go and do this work that God has for them. This is an opportunity for us to join in what we've been learning about for these last many weeks. Uh, It's a really special privilege to be able to do this, and I'm excited to see what, what and how God uses this trip for. All right, so that was, we started with 10, now we're at 20. Now I'm at all of you, okay? So each one of you have the opportunity to switch out one of your regular evenings for an evening of worship and pursuit of God. So upcoming on March 10th at 6.30, you will have the opportunity to trade in one of your regular evenings for an opportunity to worship God, to seek him, to show his greatness, And to have his spirit move in you. We are excited and expectant for God to move. For his spirit to work in each one of us that evening. Afterward, we'll have food and fellowship. But we are really excited about you guys coming. And having the opportunity to have God's spirit work in you. So it's worth the switch out for that evening. We hope to see each one of you there At Pursue Night, March 10th at 6.30. All right, so we now each have the opportunity to join in. Each one of you right now, because you've already made a decision to be here, you have the opportunity to join in worship of a God who is the only one who can settle our brains and settle our hearts and settle our spirits on him and his greatness and his glory and the only one whose spirit who can bring about real change in each one of us Can we pray as we enter into worship together? Dear God, you are the only one. You are the only one who can push aside our busy, our hurry, and our struggle. Will you do that in each one of us right now? Will you settle us so that we can worship you, so that we can be refreshed and moved by your spirit? so that we may have true change that only comes through you. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Amen. Would you stand and join us in worship this morning?
2: Is waiting. God so loved the world. He loved the
3: world. He
1: said, "Come, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest." Says the Lord. Jesus, in His own words, says that. He confirms what the Old Testament says, which says in one twenty-one, Psalm one twenty-one: "I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? But from the." all ye laden and i will give you rest he is our help this morning even if we're in the good times he is our help i'm in a good time right now and i know that i need his help even tomorrow to guide my life to guide my decisions to guide my mind and my actions but even in the hard times he is our help so we sing of that this morning and we worship Him.
3: my soul forget not all his benefits how his light
1: shone through darker days than this he has been
3: faithful he's always faithful even as I'm walking through the wilderness standing in the valley he has been faithful, he's always faithful. Yes, he is. Yeah, I know where my help comes from, my help comes from the Lord. Yeah, I know where my help comes from, my help comes from the Lord. My confidence remains in the name above all names. Yeah, I know where my help comes from. My help comes from the Lord. Yes, it does. So I won't. the Lord. My confidence remains in the name above all names. Yeah, I know where my help comes from. My help comes from the Lord. My help comes from the Lord, yes it does. And I know where my help comes from, my help comes from the Lord. But my confidence remains in the name above all ends. Come on. Yeah, I know where my help comes from, my help comes from the Lord. Yeah. Yeah, I know where my help comes from, my help comes from the Lord.
0: Yeah, I know where my
3: help comes from, my help comes from the Lord. My confidence remains in the name above all names. Yeah, I know where my help comes from, my help comes from the Lord. My help comes from the lord yeah i know where my help comes from my help comes from the lord my confidence remains in the name above all names i know where my help comes from my help comes from the lord
1: He helps us because he loves us. We are his children. He loves us. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. And his mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. That means today. His mercies are new every morning. Today. For great is thy faithfulness, Lord is thy faithfulness.
2: Praise the Lord, his mercy. mercy constantly roam what father so tender is calling us home he welcomes the weakest the vilest, the poor
4: Children of wrath, like the rest of mankind, but God. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made you alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. His mercy is greater than all of our sin and all of our waywardness, all of our repetitive sin, all of our brokenness, all of the sadness that we've caused others and caused the heart of God. His mercy is greater. His mercy is more. You may be seated. Today we have the privilege of partaking in the Lord's Supper, the elements of communion, the bread and the cup that signify that the mercy of the Lord Jesus is greater than all of our sins and that he poured out his love upon us when he poured out his blood upon the cross. Folks, today I just have a special call to you. Today we have sang together just about how much God has loved us and how much mercy he has showed unto us. And the writer of Corinthians, Paul, says that we are not to take of the cup or the bread in an unworthy manner. In an unworthy manner. And I just felt very strongly today as we sang about the forgiveness of God, that God that would so love the world that he'd send his only son, that we should not take communion today in an unworthy manner, and very specifically today, in a state of unforgiveness towards others. God, being rich in mercy, has forgiven us so much. Jesus said if you have an offering to bring and you realize you still have ought against your brother, leave the offering right where it was and go make things right. Go make things right. And in light of the Lord's great mercy and forgiveness upon us today, I just want to encourage you, if there is any not rightness between you and someone else, any unforgiveness that is residing in your heart, you need to confess that today before you partake of the Lord's Supper because God's mercy is far too great for us to live in unforgiveness. I don't know who that word is for today, but I know it's for more than one. And I would pray today, as we always encourage you, as you take the elements to examine your heart, say, Lord, is there any wicked way in me? What separates you and I today? Where do I need your mercy? Which we would encourage you to do. Think specifically today, is there any unforgiveness in my heart? Because the Lord is forgiveness and has given that to me i'm gonna ask our servers to come at this time and prepare us for communion here at victory life we engage in open communion as long as you believe that the lord jesus has saved you from your sins by his work on the cross we want you to partake with us and the way we do it is quite simple for those of you who are able in just a moment we're gonna ask you to stand and come down the center aisle uh, where you are at there will be people in the front and the back take both elements of communion today And as you do, take them back to your seat. And when you're back at your seat, just pray and ask forgiveness for anything that stands between you and the Lord. And then we'll pray together and partake of the elements together. And that's the simplicity in which we do communion. But I would remind us, uh, young to old, this is a time of sacredness. It's a time of reverence. And it's our goal to honor the Lord by remembering his sacrifice for us on the cross. So at this time, the servers are going to step out into the aisles and serve you. If you are not able to receive the elements, you are not physically able to come down the center aisle and return back around the sides, just raise a hand to shoulder height, please, and we will come and serve you and make sure you have the elements of communion as well. So at this time, you can stand and you can come and receive the elements. Paul wrote to the Corinthian church in chapter 11 of his first epistle. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Today we are following the commandments of the Lord Jesus to remember the most important three days in human history. Three days in which the wrath of God was met by Jesus on the cross, bearing my sin and your sin, my shame and your shame, so that when we stand before God on the day that Jesus comes, we can be certain that that will be a good day, a day of forgiveness and grace, meeting the one who loved us first, most, and best. But this is not a theological reality. This is a historical reality, that Jesus came as a man and gave his entire being for you and I. He suffered on our account. And he gave his body every last ounce of his strength to bring about the healing that was necessary for you and I. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you that you came to earth in human form, being found in likeness as a man. You humbled yourself and humbled yourself even to death on a cross. Thank you, Lord, for giving your entire self for us. We are unworthy. But Lord, you are completely loving. Let us eat together. Lord Jesus, you said that this cup is a new covenant in your blood. For without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Lord Jesus, thank you for spilling your perfect blood to cover the sins of humanity. We thank you, Lord, that your precious lifeblood poured out for our salvation. Let us drink together. Lord Jesus, we give you thanks and praise today for you are our Savior, our hope of eternity. You are worthy of all adoration and praise we can give you. Lord, never let us outgrow the gospel. Never let it become old or stale in our hearts and minds. But as we recognize our great need of forgiveness, may we always recognize just how much grace has been lavished on us. We thank you for these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Well, you have some cups in your hand today, and we don't want you to be encumbered with them the rest of the service. So in the seat back in front of you, there's a little hole, and you can drop them right in there and uh, make sure that you don't have to hold on to those or spill the last little bits of juice uh, onto your seat. Young disciples, you may be dismissed at this time. You're going to go down the hall with our Children's Director, Jody, who did our announcements for us this morning. Pastor Otto's down the hall with folks who are considering making Victory Life their church home and growth track. Hope that if you've not yet done that, you'll consider that in the next iteration. But we here are going to be in the book of Acts this morning, and I'm going to invite you to turn to Acts chapter 18. We are moving further south in Greece with the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul is on his second missionary journey, and we've been in the middle of a series called Into the World, Lessons of Light Shining from the Apostle Paul, the great evangelist, who we in our Bibles learn have taken took four great missionary journeys, if you will, and won countless people to Christ, founded and established so many churches, including the church in Corinth that we're going to talk about today and the church in Corinth that we just read a letter to them as we were talking about the Lord's Supper, a really important church, but not a church that was created in a vacuum. You know, I have to confess to you, as I've gotten further and further into this series and we're looking at these lessons from the Apostle Paul's life, it can sort of come, sometimes come off as stale. As we're reading the latter half of the book of Acts. And Paul went to such and such city. And Paul ministered in the synagogues. Paul won some people to Jesus. Paul was persecuted. Paul fled town. It kind of seems that it follows this general pattern, right? It it can get a little bit redundant if we're not looking at the details of the story. But we have to remember that Luke wrote the details of the story for the readers to take in. God inspired him to write these words so we would see the details and see ourselves in the details. And boy, there's details today as Paul gets to Corinth. I love watching a show on the Discovery Channel, or it might be the History Channel, I don't know, because we stream now, who knows what channel it's on, right? Called Alone. Has anybody seen Alone, right? These folks go out into the wilderness, into these great uh, cold environments, and there's usually man-eating mammals in whatever location that they go to there is no film crew they are the film crew they set up the cameras all all around in different places and they are just dropped off with about 10 survival items and left to fend for themselves and depending on where they're at there's cougars or grizzly bears or brown bears or you know mountain lions and then of course there's a scarcity of food but the the worst part about it all is that they are the name of the show alone you don't have anybody to bounce anything off of don't have anybody to tell you if you're going crazy don't have anybody to, t- to talk to when the hard things come, and, and of course, it's a survival show. We love watching alone. It's a great show, and it really plays in to four prime human fears, fears we're going to talk about today as it relates to evangelism. One of those prime human fears is, of course, being alone. They have this little button they can press, a walkie-talkie, because when it gets to be too much, they can go, bleep, I'm tapping out. This is it for me. I, I want to go home. I don't want to be here any longer, here on alone. And so they can press the tap out button. And usually, someone presses the tap out button in the first week, and all that needs to happen is they need to hear grunting from a grizzly bear outside of their shelter at night. And they're like tapping out, right? That's it. Fear of harm. Fear of harm coming to our physical person is a real and primal fear. We can't get rid of that fear, can we? We We don't want harm to come to us. I think about that every time. My kids want to go to the jump park, and they want me to jump with them. I'm like, I don't want physical harm to come upon me. I will run in straight lines, but I won't zigzag or have anything under my feet that bends. Not a good idea, right? They want me to jump, not going to jump. I don't want physical harm to come to me. Of course, there's also the, the name of the show, Alone. And eventually, as the show moves on, people do begin to lose track of themselves just a little bit. There's no one to talk to, no one to bounce things off of, no one to complain to. And so eventually they say, I can't do this anymore. I need to see my family. I need to see my loved ones. Bleep, I'm tapping out. Right? right so that's another reason. And of course, there, there, there's, the, there's the mental and emotional battle of I don't have enough. I'm living on not enough, and I don't know where my next bit of supply is coming from. I don't know how I'm going to take care of myself. And, and that's a battle because whether or not they're procuring food or not, there's always that question of I don't know that I want to live like this. Going from meal to meal, or going from provision to provision, and bleep, bleep, I'm tapping out. But there's one more primal human fear that became interesting as the show moved into its later seasons. And you're like, why is he telling me all this? Look, uh, we're getting there. We're getting there. I'm telling you this because there's one more fear that comes about, and it's maybe the fear that keeps us from evangelizing as we ought to. Eventually, the people on the show know the show is famous, and they don't wish to be embarrassed. And so they'll say into these cameras that can't talk back, I know what you're saying right now. You're watching this and you're thinking that I'm doing things the wrong way. Uh, eventually millions of people will be judging this move that I'm about to make, and I don't like that feeling. The show's brilliant. not going to suggest that every one of you is going to enjoy it. Why I, why I think it's brilliant is it's because it, it, it looks at the fears that we human beings have and it exacerbates them to the point to see Can people overcome them? And as Paul goes into Corinth, by his own admission, he is full of fear, core fears that each one of us have that keep us oftentimes from shining our light. And I want to see how Paul overcame those things, because Paul had to overcome a lot for us eventually to have 1 and 2 Corinthians written in our Bible. And perhaps you need to overcome a lot of fear in order to begin your journey towards shining your light or continue your journey towards shining your light. All right, we're in Acts chapter 1, verse, I'm sorry, sorry, Acts chapter 18, verse 1 and following as Paul makes his way into Corinth. It says this, after Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontius, recently come from Italy, and his wife Priscilla, because Claudius the emperor had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he was one of the same trade, he stayed with them and he worked. For they were tent makers by trade. He reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas, Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word. We're going to come back to that. That's a strange word. Testifying to the Jews that Christ, the Christ was Jesus. Now, they opposed him and they reviled him. So he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I'm going to the Gentiles. So he left there, and he went to a house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord, together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you or harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. Now, if you've been following along in the seven weeks of this series, you probably noticed that this particular story does not begin in the same place that the other stories begin. Normally, Paul gets to a city and we go to the synagogue immediately. But that's not what happens here in Corinth. And I'd like to make mention about that in just a moment. Corinth was a great city, a massive city founded by the Romans to be a port city on the trade routes between Rome and Asia. It was a rich city. It was a city that had based its architecture on the very nature of Rome. They were proud Romans. They were rich Roman citizens. This was as metropolitan a city as Paul was ever going to enter. This is a big city. This is a big-time city with big-time events taking place in it. Athens, by the time that Paul reached there that we talked about last week, was kind of a backwater. It wasn't nearly as important in the stage of human, at this stage in human history as Corinth was. Corinth was the capital of this part of Greece. It was a major, major place. Paul, when he writes back to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 3, says to them, I came to you in weakness and in fear and with much trembling. Did you know the Apostle Paul was subject to fear? We sometimes don't think about this with the heroes of Scripture, do we? But Jesus himself was subject to fear. Remember what we're going to be thinking about on Good Friday, weeks from now. Jesus was in the garden fearing his own death. Sweat pouring off him as drops of blood, saying, Father, could this cup pass from me? These are real people with real emotions. Paul goes back to say, I came to you in weakness and in fear and in trembling. Some of you have been on a missions trip and you get to day three or four of the missions trip and perhaps the culture shock just hits you like a great big smack in the face. You're like, oh my goodness, I'm not around my people eating my food and things that are comfortable to me and I'm just overwhelmed. Well, Paul was not Greek. Paul hadn't been there to our knowledge before. Paul wouldn't have looked like them. His accent wouldn't have been the same. He would have been exposed to customs that were different from every other place that he had been to this point. We have to remember this is real stuff here that the Apostle Paul was dealing with. And let me be, just just go one step further in terms of normal human fears. Paul was alone. For the second time in as many stops, Paul didn't have anyone with him. He knows that the call of God is on his life. He knows that he ought to do what God has called him to do, to continue to work his way through these cities, preaching the gospel and establishing churches. He knows he ought to, but now he is alone, and he's been alone for a while. It's not like he's going from Berea to Athens, as we talked about last week, and it's just been a short time, and he's invigorated because he sees all the idols. Now it's getting tougher, because he's further and further from his ministry associates, and there's one more human element that seems to be brought to our attention by the, or by, I shouldn't say the Apostle Luke, by the writer Luke. Paul's out of money. He's out of money. He, he is not able to support himself. So we begin with these first four verses about how Paul needed to seek out provision. And it just so happens when he gets to Corinth, he hears somehow through the grapevine that because Claudius had expelled the Jews from Rome, that there happens to be Jews living there that are of the same trade that he is. Jewish rabbis were trained in a trade so that they could support themselves if need be, and Paul is going to need to support himself when he gets to Corinth. He's out of money. So Paul lets us know that Paul is now trying to find a way to support himself, and it just so happens, just so happens, we'll come back to that, just so happens that a Jew and his wife, we think Priscilla was most likely Roman, a Jew and his wife have come to this city and have set up shop, and they have work for him to do. And Paul says, he moved in with them, and he was working, plying his trade as a tent maker and a leather worker. This is an important note to make. God establishes for Paul a place to stay with like-minded people on some level, and he gives him work to do now we can look at that in terms of verse 5 and this is something i wanted to bring to your attention it says when silas and timothy come from macedonia paul was occupied with the gospel and i thought now that's an odd word what do you mean he was occupied with the gospel Compare that to what we just read in verses 1 through 4 saying Paul was working his leather working and he was preaching in the, in the synagogue every Sabbath, verse 4. Now we find that they get there and he is occupied with the gospel. So either one of two things happened. One, Paul made enough money plying his trade as a leather worker that he was able to support himself and preach the gospel full time, which might have been the case. Or, as we learned two weeks ago, the Philippians sent him an offering so that he could preach the gospel full time. And three of the different commentators that I read this week said that that's what the Greek is implying. That when Silas and Timothy get there, after a time that Paul had had to humble himself and work and find provision for himself, after this time of humbling, that they brought an offering from Philippi that allowed Paul to preach the gospel full time. And we should read it, so Paul was able to be occupied with the gospel. Luke thinks that's important. Luke thinks that's worth mentioning. Luke doesn't just put Aquila and Priscilla on the list of people who got saved in Corinth. He wants us to know that Paul came there in a state of weakness and a state of need. It's at that point then in verse five and six that we see that Paul is working in the synagogues preaching to the Jews and the Greeks that he would meet there and we find that he is opposed and we get another key word that taps into our human upset and fear. He was reviled. That word is not used very often in the entire New Testament. They were really giving it to Paul. In fact, that word reviled is the word "blaspheme." It's used of of Jesus when he says the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is the one sin that will not be forgiven. And as best I can understand that word and that concept of blasphemy, if you ascribe to the enemy that which the Lord is doing, you are so twisted that you will not be forgiven. I'm going to say that one more time because we don't have time to go back into the Gospels and and break that down. But the idea is, is, is kind of simple. The Pharisees were ascribing the work of the Holy Spirit to demons and the enemy, and Jesus says, don't you do that. God's not going to be cool with that. And in the same way as Jesus was hanging on the cross, this word blaspheme is used again. It says, people came by wagging their heads, and they blasphemed Jesus. Here's the greatest work in human history, Jesus dying on the cross for the sins of humanity, and they're saying, you are a worker of the devil blasphemy. Paul is being accused of about the worst thing that you can be accused of as a man of God's spirit. That you are of the enemy. You're not actually there to help. You are there to hurt. And you are a minion of darkness. This is at the point at which Paul shakes out his garments and says, if you think but I'm here on the enemy's orders. There is no hope for you to get saved. I, I just can't do it. There's, there's no hope here. You think light is darkness, and that's just mind-blowing. From now on, I'm going to the Gentiles. Now, you might think, well, okay, well, Paul's, Paul's a tough guy. It's no big deal to Paul. But, but Paul's admitting he's not a tough guy. In fact, we see later on that Paul is in Corinth in great fear. He's having a hard time. See, just as you get stung and I get stung by words that are hurtful and, and troubling when we try to evangelize, Paul, in being reviled, was stung with words that were hurtful and tough for him to hear as well. If not, why did the Lord need to come to him in a dream and say, Paul, don't be afraid, keep on speaking, don't be silent? It doesn't seem to follow. Paul's having all of this success. He's set up in the house of Titius Justice. He's converted the synagogue ruler, Crispus and his family. Many others are coming to faith, and Paul's ready to cut, bait, and leave. Why? He's been stung. He's seeing things happen in Corinth that he's expecting the other shoe to drop. He's experiencing fear as we would experience fear. And some of you who've been attempting to shine your light, you've had words spoken to you in the past nine months, and you've gone, "Ooh, that stings. That's putting a little fear in my heart for the next time. I'm a little upset that they talk to me that way. Maybe I'll keep silent. Maybe I'll cut bait and I'll move on to the next mandate from the Lord. And the Lord doesn't really want you to. We all get stung, and we remember those, stu- those, those stings, don't we? I remember when I first came to my kind of adult faith in the eighth grade. Thanks, Ron Luce, and Acquire the Fire. I came to this marvelous moment where uh, my faith was real, and I felt the presence of the Lord for the very first time, and I knew he was real. And I came back from that, and my youth pastor was saying, invite people to church. They need to come and know Jesus. Invite your friends. And I'm like, I'm going to do that. So I went up to the eighth grade doors at Bolick Middle School. And there was a group of people standing in a circle, and it was a Thursday morning after Wednesday night church, and somebody goes, what did you do last night, Skiff? I'm like, I went to my youth group, it was awesome, and we did this, and we did this, and I'd like you all to come sometime. And a kid looked at me and goes, no thanks, I don't need your crutch. Then he looked at the other people in the circle and went, (laughs) I was in eighth grade, do you remember eighth grade? (laughs) Do you remember how yucky middle school was? The worst thing in the world that can happen to you is to be mocked and laughed at. And here, the very first time that I had ventured to invite people to church, I was being mocked and laughed at. That guy was calling me weak. I don't need your crutch. He's calling me weak. Don't you call me weak? Let's go play football, and we'll talk about me being weak. Don't call me weak. He was calling me mentally weak. You just go to church because you're weak. And you know what I said? This was my great comeback. Man, you are mean. That's all I had for him, you know? I'm like, what's wrong with you? This isn't weird to invite people. But all I said was, man, you're mean. This isn't weird for me to invite people to church, but you're making me feel like a jerk, right? I remember that. I remember where I was standing. I remember the other faces in the circle. It was the very first time I'd considered shining my light, and I got kicked so hard in the shins that it just made me fearful of saying anything else to anybody. Could that not be the plan of the enemy? Do we really wrestle flesh and blood, or do we wrestle principalities and powers of darkness? That the enemy would want me to live in fear and be silent from that point forward, because that's exactly what he was hoping would happen. And Paul can succumb to the very same things, even though he's we, we view him as this mega evangelist. It can be hard and it can be scary and it can be tough. To the point that even though he's found a place in the house of Titius, justice, even though he has converted the ruler of the synagogue christmas and his family even though multiple people are coming to faith he's shining his light and it's working he's ready to leave let's read it one more time to make sure that i'm not making much ado about nothing look at verse nine and the lord said to paul one night in the vision do not be afraid which implies that he was what afraid keep go on speak keep on speaking and do not be silent which implies that he wanted to be silent because of the fear. For I am with you. No one will attack or harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. God needed to supply a way for Paul to remain in Corinth that overcame Paul's fear and concern. You know, we have this thing that we talk about nowadays. We call it significant emotional events. Right? Significant emotional events. If you, if, you, if you get hit too many times, you start cowering and covering. And the Apostle Paul at this point in his ministry, he would got hit a bunch. Not only had he experienced hardships. I mean, we talked about him traveling over a 1,000 miles on foot through rugged terrain. But by this point in his ministry, Paul had been stoned and lived or who revived, depending on how you read it. Paul had been beaten. Paul had been put in the stocks. Paul had had horrible things said about him by people who he was there to try to save. Of course Paul is in this city that is not his own, this Greek-Roman metropolis for an Asian man who is recognizing that Maybe the shoe will drop here too. Maybe I shouldn't, let's use some fishing terms, stick and stay and make it pay. Maybe I should cut bait and head to the next city. And the Lord says, Paul, I've got you. And I don't know where you are with shining your light. I don't know if that core fear of embarrassment is keeping you from doing anything at all. I don't want to be embarrassed in my workplace. I don't want to be embarrassed in my school. I don't want to be embarrassed in my neighborhood. I don't know if that core fear is the fear that keeps you from doing anything to promote and talk about Jesus and his gospel and his church. I don't know. I don't know if where you're at with shining your light, if the issue is, is that you've been stung too many times. Too many people keep saying hard and harsh things to you every time you open your mouth on account of Christ. And so you're thinking, well, maybe this isn't my place anymore. Maybe this isn't my ministry anymore. Maybe I shouldn't say anything anymore. That was a bit too embarrassing. That was a bit too hurtful. That was a little bit too much for me. Maybe I should wait for the next great evangelism outreach at my church, and I'll get involved in that, but as far as shining my light in my neighborhood or my workplace or or, or in among my family, I, it's too hurtful, it's too tough, it's too mean. It's too, I, I don't want to get stung anymore, so you're pulling back. You're pulling back. Or maybe you're just in a place where God's given you a great big vision, and he's given you something that he really wants you to do, and you're saying the three great American things. I don't have time, and I'm not talented enough, and I don't have the money, so I can't do what God's calling me to do. You know, when Paul's talking about coming to them in weakness and trembling and fear, he realizes that the rhetorical devices that would win an Asian audience were not going to win a Greek audience. Chapter 2 is all about, I I knew nothing among you except Jesus and him crucified, because I knew that I couldn't talk to you in ways that you would receive the way the folks over in Pisidia and Antioch and over on the other side of the pond did. I had to be different here. I didn't use those same devices with you. He came in weakness and fear and trembling because he had come from places that had been harsh and hard and mean towards him, and when he got there, people were saying, you are of the devil. You are here for no good purpose. A man who had traveled a thousand miles by foot to be there, a man who had suffered Hardships that we, and calamities that we could never understand in our American Christianity. And they're saying, you're of the devil. It's astounding, yet he stays. Why? Because the Lord doesn't just supply his needs of aquila and priscilla and 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 money to begin the mission in corinth but the lord goes over and above and supplies his need so that he can preach the gospel full-time in corinth and when he's ready to leave because his human emotions are coming upon him in waves the lord comes to him in a vision so strongly that in many of our bibles it's in the red letters jesus came to him so strongly the red letters are the quotes of jesus by the way if you're new to this whole thing so strongly this the red letters And says, do not be afraid. And what does he say to Paul? This is the reason not to be afraid. The second thing he says is, you're not alone. You're not alone. You're not alone. Can you just look to your right and to your left and behind you for just a moment? Audience participation? Many of them happen to be other Christians. They go to your church. You just took the Lord's Supper with them, theoretically a communal meal. You're not alone. For some of you who are living in fear because you're trying to shine your light today, why are you believing that you're alone? Why are you believing that God's not going to supply the ministry partners that you need to do the things that he's called you to do? Why? You're not alone. You're not alone. You're not alone. Paul needs to hear from the lord you're not alone there are many for me uh, that are mine in this city no one's going to harm you do you know who paul writes first corinthians with do you know, did, you, did you ever look at that you're like no this is bible nerd stuff oh yeah it's bible nerd stuff it says paul wrote back to the corinthians with a man named sosthenes say that five times fast sosthenes a little later on in this very same chapter The persecution does come. Paul is brought before the Roman tribunal, and instead of Paul taking a beating, Sosthenes takes one for him. God knew that that Paul couldn't take one more right at that moment. He knew it. He knew it. And God put somebody in that city who would take the beating for Paul. Read the story. Tell me I'm making too much of it. They brought Paul before the tribunal, but Sosthenes is the one who took the punishment for Paul. And when he writes back to Corinth years later, who's his ministry partner that he writes back with? Sosthenes. I'm not saying that bad stuff won't happen. I'm not saying that the other shoe won't drop. It might. But God will not leave you alone, and he'll supply your every need According to his riches and glory he will if you're following him and you're called by him what's the one other thing that God gives Paul the most important thing I am with you I am with you so I went to my Bible and I thought I want to see all the times that the Lord says I am with you in the New Testament it's got to be dozens right Dozens, dozens of times that the Lord says, I am with you. It's not. It's right here when Paul's ready to leave Corinth. And it's right there in Matthew chapter 28 when he tells his disciples to go out and win the world for him. I will be with you even until the end of the age. I am with you. We will never know how much God will be with us until such time as we step out in faith to shine our light for Christ. That's when you know how much God is with you. That's when you know he wants to come in and give you visions and dreams and words to keep you doing that which he has called you to do. So who among you has taken a step back today? Who among you has been has been kept from taking that step forward because of these human fears that we have of embarrassment, the human fears that we have? I, don't, I won't have enough money. I won't have enough time. I'll get stung again. Bad things will happen. Who among you have decided to do nothing or very little or stop in your tracks with something God's called you to do because of fear? If that is the case, then God has two messages for you this morning from his word. He is with you, and you are not alone. And if I could be so bold, even if you got us so tense, he'll supply. Even if you have to humble yourself to make it happen, he'll make a way for you. That's the story of Corinth. Or, or, or we can read it, Paul went to another city, did some more things, got persecuted and left. Or, or we can see what God meant us to see, which is even in spite of fear, my God will supply all of my needs and your needs according to his riches and glory. Would you bow your heads and pray with me, please? I once heard a pastor say, never put yourself in a position where you don't need anything from the Lord. But our fear does that, doesn't it? We try to put ourselves in a position where we don't need anything from him. But what if today the Lord is speaking to some of us, put yourself in position to need from me. Let your faith be bigger than your fear. Because ultimately, you are not of the enemy, you are of Christ. And the world needs Jesus. And therefore, you step out in faith, and I'll meet your needs the physical needs, the emotional needs, the need for time and space, the need for help when your mind assails you. But most importantly, I'll meet you with my presence to guide you and to keep you. If the Lord has spoken to you about a fear today that's keeping you from stepping out with him, I would invite you in this moment to ask his Holy Spirit to deliver you. Holy Spirit, deliver me from my fears because I want to shine my light for Jesus. Ask him right now. For I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. Lord, deliver me. I do not have the time. Lord, deliver me. I'll get hurt again. Lord, deliver me. The money won't come. Lord, deliver me. I don't want to do this alone. Lord, deliver me. Oh, Lord, let us trust in your supply. Paul needed to be in Corinth. and Corinth needed Paul. So supply for us, Lord. Because we need to be where we're at. And where we're at needs us. Pray these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Let's stand and make that our benediction song. I know where my help comes from. Yeah, I know
3: where my help comes from. My help comes from the Lord.
4: Yeah, I know
3: where my help comes from. My help comes from the Lord. My confidence remains in the name above all names. Yeah, I know where my help comes from. My help comes from the Lord, oh, my soul. So, oh, my soul, forget not all his benefits. How his light has shone, how his life has shone through darker days and this. He has been faithful. He has been faithful. Even. Even as I'm walking through the wilderness Standing in the valley I'll remember this He has been faithful He's always faithful I know Yeah, I know where my help comes from My help comes from the Lord And I know where my help comes from my help comes from the lord and my confidence remains in the name above all names and i know where my help comes from my help comes from the lord
4: i do encourage you today as you step out there are some folks here in the church who have said lord i'm going to trust you I believe that you'll have the money, and you gave me the time, and you're going to give me the strength to go on to the mission field. We have information about our missions team that's heading out this summer. We'd love for you to begin to pray over them right away and take one of those handouts. And if the Lord is speaking to you and saying, stick and stay and make it pay, and you need some help, we want to be a resource to you. Let us know. Send us an email. Catch us after service sometime. We'll talk to you. And if the Lord's spoken something into your heart to shine your light, come and tell us. We want to come alongside you. Make sure you're fully equipped for the Lord that God or the work that the Lord's called you to do. God bless you. Yeah, I know where
3: my help comes from, my help comes from the Lord. And I know where my help comes from, my help comes from the Lord. And my confidence remains in the name above all names. I know where my help comes from. My help comes from the Lord, yes. And I know where my help comes from. My help comes from the Lord. And my confidence remains in the name above all names. And I know where my help comes from. My help comes from the Lord.